So, you know, I totally forgot about my headset tonight. So I guess I'll just use this wireless mic here. But, you know, a couple of days ago, I was going through uh, the Internet, just searching around, you know, just searching around the Internet to see uh, what's going on. And I came upon this one article. I came upon this one article that was pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. And at first, I thought that, you know what, a woman must have wrote that article because there is no way, there is no way that, I, that any man would dare to ever write an article such as that. And the title of the article, the title of the article is this, What to Do When Your Wife is Dead Wrong and You Know It. <laughs> what to do when your wife is dead wrong and you know it. And you know what, as I was reading that article, the little intro, and then it goes into the main the points that it, that it was, it was uh, talking about, the very first point, the very first point that it actually mentioned was this. It says you have to be honest. You have to be honest. And I was thinking to myself, you know what? This person must have never been married before, right? This person must have never been married before. But the, because there's really only just two rules to a successful marriage, as I find out. You know, I found out the, the last 20 years or so. There's only two rules to a successful marriage. Rule number one is this, that you're all, uh, your wife is always right, okay? Your wife is always right. And then rule number two is that if you ever think she's wrong, slap yourself and refer to rule number one. You know, all joking aside, I, I have worked and I have uh, I worked with people for a very long time. Of course, we all have. And one of the things that I find, one of the things that I find about people, the people who actually become successful in the things that they do, one of the things that, one of the virtues or characteristics of the, the person is often this. It, it, it is in their ability to really admit their wrongs. It is in their ability to uh, admit their mistakes. And a lot of times when I work with people and those who, who are never willing to admit their wrongs, those who are never willing to admit their mistakes, you see, they never grow, whether, you know, whether it's in, in, in business, whether it's in their personal life, or even just as a leader. Many times when we see the people who are unwilling to just admit them, their, their mistakes, it's very hard, very hard for them to grow. But one of the things that often comes up is that you, you realize that a lot of people are this way simply because of the environment that they grew up in. It is because of the environment that they grew, grew up in that does not allow them to really, you know, develop this, uh, this characteristic in them because they, don't, they didn't grow up in, envir in an environment of grace. And so one of the things I realized is that in order for people to be willing to admit their mistakes, in order for people to really just be willing to, to repent, it really comes down to the environment that they're in. If they are in an, an environment of grace, then they're more than willing to do so. And when they do so, then it allows them to grow as a person, no matter what field that they are in. And so as we talk about, as we talk about Ash Wednesday, and as we reflect upon our relationship with God, and we reflect upon our sins, we reflect upon the grace of God, one of the things that we need to realize is that God is gracious. And that's what the Bible verse says in Joel. That one of the, re the reasons why we are able to come to repentance, the reason why we're able to bring our sins and all the things that we've done, and we're able to lay it at the cross of Jesus Christ, lay it at his feet, is because God is gracious. And so we, as we reflect upon our lives, as we reflect upon the grace of God, we need to reflect upon who God is. 
And the scripture teaches us here, here in the passage of Joel, and it says that he is gracious. And not only is he gracious, but it also go- goes on and it says that he is compassionate. That God is compassionate. And then it goes on and says he is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. And so these are, it's all because of who God is that allows this environment, allow this kingdom of grace that we're, we are a part of. And that's what Jesus Christ was talking about when Jesus Christ came and he began his ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. It's because in that kingdom is grace. It is love. And it's all based upon who God is, that he is gracious, he is compassionate, he is slow to anger, he is abounding in love, and he relents, he relents from sending calamity to people. And so because of this, we can be confident to lay our sins before him. Because of this, we can be confident in our confessing our sins before him. We can be confident in just repenting before him, knowing that he will be gracious and he will be forgiving and that he will help us grow through this. In the passage here in Joel was written about 2,800 years ago. It was written about 2,800 years ago at a time in which the nation of Israel, they were experiencing great prosperity. You know, they were experiencing great prosperity, and because of that, you know, because they were such a prosperous nation, they became kind of prideful. They thought they were invincible. They thought nothing could tear them down anymore because they were experiencing just such great success, just such great prosperity. And so when Joel came to them and Joel called them to repent, it really made no sense to them because they have their churches, they have their worship services, they have their sacrifice, I mean, they have their temples, right? They had all these things, they had their religion, they were so in love with the religion, they were so in love with the, the, the sacrificial system that was a part of their culture. They were so in love with all these things that, that they had, all the prosperity that they had. And yet here comes this prophet here. Here comes this prophet here calling them, calling them that there is a need to repent. There is a need to really focus on the grace of God. There is this need to really just bring your sins before God. And Joe even used a, a, um, an occurrence during that time during that time to really try to help them understand this message. And we read in Joel chapter 1 about the locusts, right? We read about that. And Joel, Joel chapter 1 verse 4 says, what the, the prophet says, what the cutting locusts left, the swarming locusts has eaten. What the swarming locusts left, the hopping locusts has eaten. And what the hopping locusts left, the destroying locusts has eaten. And so he is using this this event, this, this tragedy that was contemporary to them. And he was using that to, to show them that there is a need for repentance. And he's, going, he's getting pro- more and more progressive in, in what he was trying to, to, share to, to share to them. That, you know what, if we don't repent, this is only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. And so that's why he's saying that, you know, what, what, what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. And then he, keeps, he continues on and on, and he talks about that. He uses that event to call them, to call his people at that time, for them to really repent and just really reflect 
reflect upon their lives before God because they were so in love with the religious um, system. But at the same time, they have fallen away from God. At the same time, their love was no longer for God. And they've, they've separated themselves from God. And so Joe is coming here teaching them and calling them, calling them for repentance. And we see in the scriptures that repentance is something that is needed. Like I said before, it's in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Even when John the Baptist came, John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist says that we must produce fruits of repentance in our own lives. That's, that's how we are going to find life. Is to find fruits, is to produce fruits of repentance. And if we don't, if we don't, we refuse to repent. One of the things that will bring to us is just nothing but destruction. And we'll just continue to go down the path of destruction. And that we need to have that confidence and have that faith to be able to bring, to bring our sins before God and lay it down at the, the feet of Jesus Christ, at the feet or at the foot of the cross. You often Thompson Oftentimes in our own culture, it says, our culture teaches us, it says, that for us to listen to our hearts. The script, our culture teaches us to listen to our hearts. But if we read the scriptures, the scripture says this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And then it goes on and says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. Then it goes on and says, you do not hear because you are not of God. And so that's where repentance comes from, is from hearing the word of God. Hearing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing who God is, a reflection of who God is. Knowing that he is the gracious God, that we can have confidence to come before him anytime. And we see here, Joe, as he was talking about it, he, he was making a distinction between tearing the garments and tearing one's heart. Because the garments in the Old Testament time, that was a sign of repentance. They oftentimes, when they repent, they would tear their garments and they would put on sackcloth and they would mourn. They would mourn. And yet, and yet, Joe was saying that, you know, it's more than that. You must tear your heart. You must tear your heart out before God. In other words, repentance oftentimes hurts. It oftentimes hurt. That's why the scripture teaches us about mourning. Whenever we are repenting, it's always the time of mourning before God because it hurts. It really does. If we repent and if it doesn't hurt us, you know, something is not right because the scripture teaches us that repentance does hurt us. It is a time of mourning. It is a time of weeping before God. And that's what we do when we reflect upon how, how great God's grace, how amazing his love really is. For each and every single one of us. And how undeserving many times we are of this amazing grace. And yet God just gives it to us freely without asking for anything. He just pours it out to us freely. And like, like the song said, that you know, no matter how many times we fail, that God's grace is always there for us. And so we can always have that confidence to come before God. And also allows, one of the things it also allows when we repent is that it also allows us to be transformed, allows us to be changed. The word for church in the Bible, the Greek word for church, actually means, uh, it, it's actually ecclesia, ecclesia. And this word ecclesia means to be called out, 
to be called out. And we see, we see throughout the scriptures, we see here in Joel, the prophet talks about gathering the people, consecrating the congregation, bringing the elders together, gather the ch children, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. All of this, all of these are signs of us just being called out, leaving what we were comfortable with, leaving the things of the past and going towards God to be reconciled to God as 2 Corinthians teaches us. As the Apostle Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians that we are ambassadors of God and the whole purpose is to reconcile people, restore people back into a right relationship with God. And that's what this season is going to be about as we enter Lent. It's to really just reflect upon our own sins, to have the confidence to bring our own sins before God, reflect upon the grace that he has given us, and to be confident, to be confident that through his grace that we will be reconciled back to him. And so at this time, I would like to, with the, with the ashes, I would like to ask all of us to stand if you're able to. And we'll be giving thanksgiving over our, the ashes. And after the thanksgiving over the ashes, I would like to invite anybody who would like to come forward to receive the ashes as a sign of repentance to come forward. Let us pray together. Our Father and Almighty God, you have created us out of the earth. Grant that these ashes may be to us a sign of our mortality so that we may remember that only by your gracious gifts are we given everlasting life through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.